Happy Easter, everyone. Blessed Resurrection Sunday. I want to thank you for joining with, with us and worshiping with us on this very precious and special day. And listen, if, this, uh, if you're watching either on Facebook or YouTube, I want to encourage you to go ahead and share this message with your family and friends. You can, uh, by the way, if you're watching on YouTube for the first time, go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We'd love to alert you when we're going live uh, in the future. And you can also share the link to our website, nbccbarrier.com. All right? Okay, uh, let's focus our attention on the Gospel of John on this fabulous Easter day, uh, chapter 20, verses 11 through 18. And here's what the Gospel writer, he describes the scene. He says, Mary was standing outside of the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in, and she saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head, the other sitting at the feet of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said, dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked. Because, she says, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have put him. And she turned to leave. There was someone standing Nearby, it was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked. Who are you searching for? Who are you looking for? And she thought he was a gardener. So she said, sir, if you have taken away, if you have taken him away, please just tell me where you have put him and I will go get him. Mary, Jesus said. In that moment, she turns and she cries out, Rabboni, which by translation is teacher, master. And he says, he says, don't, don't, don't cling to me. Jesus says, I have not ascended to the father, but go find my brothers. Tell them that I'm ascending to my father and your father. I'm ascending to my God and your God. So she ran and found the disciples. She says, I have seen the Lord. And she gave them his message. There is the reading. Lord, bless this message. Infuse it with your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Every now and then on Easter Sundays, I think about what it was like growing up at Zion Chapel Baptist Church on Easter days. As a kid, you know, Easter Sunday was always a kind of um, blend of, of high stress and great expectation. Uh, from the high stress end of things, uh, I was always stressed out because my grand aunt would always insist that I uh, participate in the Easter program. And then I always had to have the longest part and I had to give that part by memory. So I was always stressed out until I could deliver myself of whatever the part was I had to do. Then I was filled with great expectations like I just couldn't wait until the service was over because all of us kids would be... Um, set loose out on the, on the campus of the churchyard, and they will, have hid it. they will have hidden eggs, and they would also add some small gifts, you know, maybe a $5 somewhere, a couple of toys in the grass. So every Easter Sunday, I couldn't wait. Not only would I collect those great eggs, which even till today I love, you know, boil Easter eggs, but maybe this would be the Sunday that I'd come home with some Easter gifts. Well, 
Today, I want to offer to you some Easter gifts. As a matter of fact, three Easter gifts. You don't have to go looking in the grass or try to find them on your own. These Easter gifts flow to us from the crucifixion of Jesus and the resurrection. And notice how I just, you can't really talk about the resurrection of Jesus unless you talk about the crucifixion. I'll return to that in just a moment. Last week, I spent some time teaching about how do we make sense of those times when Jesus says no to our prayers. At the very moments when we so desperately feel like we need him to say yes. And if you missed that message, I want to encourage you, make sure you go back and check it out. It's on our website, perhaps one of the most important messages I've preached this year. Today, I want to talk about three prayers that if we approach God with the right posture of heart, that God is anxious to answer every single time. Three prayers. And these three prayers, these three Easter gifts come to us because of the reality of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. Now, let's start with the crucifixion. You've got to always start with the crucifixion. Our Savior is dying on a brutal Roman cross. As I think about standing at a distance from the cross, there's Mary, his mother, Mary Magdalene, who's depicted in this story that we read earlier, and uh, his disciple, uh, John, along with a few others. And I, I, as, I, as I just think about them standing there amidst all of the trauma, he has been beaten near death, and now he's been hanging there, as, they, as the scripture says, from the sixth to the ninth hour. And, and, and he's literally dying in front of them. And, and they're there in such deep trauma and grief. As so I think about unimaginable grief, which is where they're standing, I, I can't help but make the leap to, to the fact that most of us, most of you watching me, we all are living in a world where there are more people grieving at the same time than any other moment in contemporary history. Here in America, uh, COVID-19 is the third leading cause of death, almost a million people, which means that there are roughly, uh, it's estimated almost 9 million people grieving because of, 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 of a death or a loss related to COVID. And you add that to all of the other uh, various ways that, that people die, I'm sure that many of you watching me right now, you're in the midst of your own sense of grief, unimaginable grief. You know, next week I'm going to start a series called Should I? We're going to be wrestling with some of the tough questions that confront us and how our faith should inform our ability uh, to discern which direction to go. And the first thing I want to tackle next week and come back to this subject is what do we do with our grief? What do we do with our grief? So make sure you get back here next week. But now back at the foot of the cross in the horror of Jesus' crucifixion, we hear him cry out, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. What an incredible prayer for Jesus to pray in the midst of being crucified. He's not only praying for the Roman soldiers who are crucified, not only praying for the religious leaders uh, who, are, who has facilitated that crucifixion, but, but, but all of us are included in that. They do not know what they're doing. Forgive them. That brings us to the very first gift that comes to us through Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. It is, it, is, it is a prayer that God is always anxious to say yes to. Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. 
that when we approach the throne of God with a sincere heart, we declare, Lord, forgive me. God, on the basis of what his son Jesus has done on Calvary Cross, declares, you are forgiven. You don't have to go work it off. <laughs> you don't have to earn it. You are forgiven, just like that. You know, notice what 1 John uh, 2, 2 says about this notion. It says, he himself, meaning Jesus, is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not just for our sins, but for the sins of all the world. In other words, you can stop punishing yourself for whatever it was that you did six months ago or six years ago. You can stop crucifying yourself because I hear the, the, the words of Isaiah declaring that Jesus was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities, that the punishment that was laid upon him was to bring us peace. You don't have to crucify yourself anymore because he was crucified on your behalf. You just have to believe it by faith. You know, I love the old hymn of the, of the church that says, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but Jesus has washed it white as snow. I'm excited by what the psalmist declares when he says, as far as the east is from the west, that is how far God has removed our sins from us when he says you are forgiven. I I like what God declares through the prophet. I will blot out your transgressions and remember your sins no more. He says, I won't even remember them anymore. And it comes simply by praying that basic powerful prayer, Lord, forgive me. And heaven stands tiptoe ready. God is prepared. Blot out your transgressions. Set you free from the shame and the guilt that you've been dragging around. You're forgiven. And then we find Mary. Early Sunday morning, she gets to the tomb. The stone is rolled away. Uh, The tomb is empty. And she is beside herself. Just when she thought that things couldn't get any worse, they got worse. She is convinced that the reason why the tomb is empty is because someone has taken away the body of Jesus. Someone has removed the body of Jesus. Maybe they even stole it. She's beside herself. She doesn't know how to, how to interpret this experience. The text says that she's so bereft in grief that when she looks into the tomb, she sees two angels there. She's not even moved by the fact that these are two angels. She's just, her her, her grief totally locks out any any capacity to, to experience that. She's just looking for her Jesus. She's looking for her Jesus, desperate for her Jesus. And when they say, uh, dear woman, Why are you crying? Don't you see you had an empty tomb? She says, I'll tell you why I'm crying. Because someone has taken away my Lord. And and I don't know where they've put him. And I'm looking for him. I'm looking for I'm looking for the body of my Jesus. Where is he? Where is he? She said. And she got ready to leave. The text says says there's a fellow standing there by. And she, 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 she doesn't recognize it's actually Jesus standing right there. She thinks he's a gardener. And, and, and he says to her, dear woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? And she, she responds, sir, 
if you're the one who have taken, taken him away, just tell me where you have put him and I'll go get him myself. And then comes that voice that had an air of familiarity to it, Mary. Well, I'm sure that when, when echoing that word Mary echoing in the, in the air, uh, surely uh, the early believers remembered that Jesus had said in, in the Gospel of John chapter 10 uh, that my sheep will know my voice, Mary. Surely when she heard that familiar voice, there was something within her that said, could it be? It could not be. Oh, no. And the text says she turns, and in that very moment, Jesus reveals himself to her, and she cries out. She screams with grand excitement. Oh, Rabbani, Master, Teacher, you're alive. Oh, my gosh. Can you see the joy that's flowing through her at this moment? Oh, she had been looking for a dead body. She would have been happy just to find the dead body. Even before that, she was uh, reminiscing about the, the days that Jesus was alive before he was crucified. But, but now she sees she has had the encounter with the resurrected one. Don't need to find the dead body anymore. Come on now. Don't need to relish the memories of old. This is the resurrected one. This is the one by virtue of him being alive means that death itself has an expiration date. Come on now. This is the one by virtue of him being alive means that while evil is still real and still painful, that it too has an expiration date. He's alive. He's alive. Wow. And with this comes the second gift that we get that flows through crucifixion and resurrection, it is a simple prayer. Lord, reveal yourself to me. Oh, yes. I want to challenge you to pray that prayer. Lord, reveal yourself to me. You know, you may have to pray it more than once. You may have to pray it some days. You may have to pray it some weeks. You may have to pray it long enough until your ritualistic words are replaced with deep passion. You may have to just keep praying it. Lord, reveal yourself. Lord, reveal yourself long enough uh, until your great doubt is replaced with great desperation. Mary is in a place of great desperation. And that is when the revelation comes. Oh, surely the one who died for you, surely the one who conquered death for you, when you ask and you hit that place in your heart that you're sincere, he's anxious to reveal himself to you. To show you that he's real. My gosh. You know, I want to suggest this is a gift not just for would-be new believers. This gift, this prayer, Lord, reveal yourself. It's a gift for old-time believers. The old-timers, right? Those of you who've been around for 30, 40 years. Who are, you know, this is a gift for those of you who are watching me. But, 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 but to you, religion feels like a dead body. This is a gift for you. Lord, reveal yourself to me. This is a gift for those of you who are watching me. And when you, kind of, when you think about the church, the body of Christ, and, and the Christian experience, come on now, in its ritualistic form, it, it, it feels like an empty performance. This is, this is a gift for you. This is a gift. Lord, reveal yourself to me. This is a gift. This prayer is, is the challenge from heaven that says, come on now, if you have a huge hole in your heart and it's filled with pain, so much so that if you saw two angels in front of you, you would say, 
What's the use? What does it matter? You would just ignore them because the pain of this season is so intense. This prayer is for you. Lord, reveal yourself to me. Reveal yourself. Reveal yourself. Reveal yourself. And the Lord is waiting to say, yes. Clearer and clearer and clearer. It brings us to the third great gift. The first gift is the, the prayer. Lord, forgive me. God is anxious and waiting to answer that prayer and set you free from, from guilt and shame of yesterday or last year. The second prayer, Lord, reveal yourself. He's waiting to answer that prayer and revitalize you. Your soul, your dreams, your imagination, your sense of hope. But then the third gift, Easter gift. Shout Somebody shout Easter gift. The third Easter gift is found in the question, well, who is this woman, Mary Magdalene, anyway? You know, it is Mark chapter 16, verse 9, that puts, puts Mary in context. Not only does it say that when Jesus rose from the dead on that Sunday morning, the first person who saw him was Mary Magdalene. But it's Mark that reminds us that this is the one from whom uh, Jesus cast out, come on, drove out seven demons out of her life. Can you imagine that? That prior to meeting Jesus, she had, she had a life that was, that, was, that was crippled by seven demons. I, 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 I don't know what that life looked like. I can, I can only imagine that it was filled with fits of rage and anger and foul language. I can only imagine that it was filled with an unending series of self-destructive behaviors. But somehow when she comes into the presence of Jesus, there's something within her that cries out, Lord, take charge of my life. And Jesus exerts his authority. Come on now. And, and, and evil has to disperse. And he takes charge, charge of her life and radically causes a radical shift within her. That's why she's such a central figure to the gospel story. Right? right. She didn't immediately, she didn't become perfect or flawless. No, 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 no. But when he, when he set her free, this is the one who says, I come to set the captives free. When he set her free. A shift more than likely in her personality, in her behavior, in her language, in her sense of purpose. She was made new. And so this is the third gift, the third prayer that Jesus is anxious to answer for you. It is simply this. Lord, take charge of my life. Lord, take charge of my life. As you go through the day, Lord, take charge of my life. Take charge of my children. Take charge of my dreams. Take charge of my finances. Take charge of my health. Oh, Lord, take charge of my life. Oh, my gosh. And I want to tell you that he who came to set the captives free, I know we live in a highly technological world. I know we see the evil of Ukraine and we see the horrors that surround us, the shooting that took place in New York. And I, I know it feels like we're so far, so far past these biblical days. But I'm telling you that the Jesus who died on the cross and rose from the dead is alive today and he still has the power to set the captives free. Lord, take charge. He has so much to work with if you give him a chance. Lord, take charge of my life.
I, I, I can almost sense you're listening to me and some of you saying, well, but really, is he powerful enough to do that? Can an encounter with the resurrected one, you know, it would have been great to meet the historical Jesus, but the resurrected one, can an encounter with that kind of resurrection power literally change personality and behavior? Really? This makes me think of my, think of my great-uncle who raised me, the Reverend Clansberry. You know, Daddy would tell the story about his early days in the 20s and 30s. He had, he had gotten married and fallen into divorce. And, and I talked to some of his friends who knew him back then, and they would, they would co-sign what, what he would share. It was hard for me to believe these stories, given the daddy that I knew. But he said when he was in his 20s and 30s, he was just mean. He was full, his life full of rage and anger. He'd fight in a minute. So he's a brawl, a brawl, foul language, womanizer, drinking and smoking. And somehow God wooed him into what we used to call in the South an old-fashioned revival meeting. He found himself in the church with people praying. And, and daddy said he got serious about needing God to do something for his life. Daddy was a logger, and so the next day, he says he's out there logging, and he, he found some space to himself out there in the woods, and, and in daddy's own way, he began to pray these prayers. Lord, reveal yourself to me. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Lord, take charge of my life. And as he cried out in those woods by himself, and when daddy would tell the story, his eyes would tear up and a a grin would come on his face and he would get excited, y'all, as he would tell the story. And he said something, it was like something struck him at the top of his head and went down all the way through his body to the crown of his feet. That's how he would tell the story. And he said when he opened his eyes and looked around, he said everything looked new. He said he looked at his hands and they looked new also, my God. And, 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 and he said the, the, the desire for alcohol and cigarettes just left him. And a shift started to happen in his personality. And a shift started to happen in his behavior. Y'all ain't listening. And a shift started to happen in how he talked, y'all. Come on. He went on and the Lord uh, introduced him to my grand aunt. They got married. And together they opened their homes and their hearts. And they took this little scarred kid that was me into their lives. Come on now. And this is the one who when I met, God had radically transformed him. This is the one who changed my diaper and fed me when it wasn't fashionable for men to do this. This is the one who taught me how to work hard. This is the one who would call me into his room every, every Saturday night. and We'd have to read the scriptures together. He saw something that I wasn't aware of. He was working on. Come on now. This is the one who I would sit admiring. He, had, he, was, a, he was a third grade dropout, y'all. Come on now. But when he got ready to preach the gospel because he was ultimately called from logging to preach. He would do so with such eloquence and with such drama and with such power. This is the one who I saw stand up for right again and again. This is the one that taught me to be a man and a father and a husband. No, he wasn't perfect or flawless, but because, come on now, like Mary, he could declare out in the woods, I have seen the Lord and he has taken charge of my life. And because of that, I'm here preaching to you today. I'm the product of someone who had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. 
and it's impacted all of our lives because I'm here preaching to you. That Jesus is alive. That Jesus is talking to you through me. If you would dare pray, forgive me, reveal yourself to me. I'm talking about Easter gifts, y'all. And take charge of my life. You know, towards the end of daddy's life, he suffered Alzheimer's. And the last few weeks, the nurse told me, she said, Daddy would be sitting there, memory all gone. But all of a sudden, he would let out one of those old hymns in the church in the National Baptist tradition. I love the Lord. He heard my cry and pitied every groan. Long as I live and trouble rise, Daddy would say, I'm, in his Alzheimer's, say, I will hasten to his throne. Good God Almighty. And the nurse would say he would then move from singing to praying. And she said the other people uh, on the floor would just gather around him. And she said the Spirit of God would settle in that place. It would suddenly become a church room. My God. It was as though Daddy was saying, Oh, Lord Jesus, you declared, come on now, that you go to prepare a place for me. That's dying on the cross and paying the price for my sins and conquering death through resurrection. And you said that if you go, you will come again and receive me unto yourself. That where you are, I will be also. I'm waiting on my rendezvous, praise God. And the day came when Jesus kept his word and my daddy leaped from an all-signed state, come on now, to a new eternal reality full of life and zest. This is the hope of the believer that flows through us on resurrection Sunday morning. This is your hope. This is my hope. I love how this story ends in the text. Mary reaches out and grabs Jesus. Jesus says, don't, don't cling. He doesn't, he, he's not fussing at it. He just said, don't cling to me right now. Oh, no, there's still a, another. I haven't ascended to the Father's transition that I've got to go through so that, so, that, so, that, so that anybody can have an encounter with me. They don't have to be in Jerusalem, y'all. They listen, come on. That my spirit can meet them in their living room. My spirit, come on now, can meet them in, the, in a football stadium, in a prison place. Come on, my spirit can find them in Japan or Texas. My spirit, oh, don't cling to me now. But go tell my brothers that I'm ascending to the Father and that the intimacy that I have with the Father, I'm going to give to them. Come on, the intimacy that I have, come on now, with the ultimate divine, I'm going to give to them. They are part of the family. Wow. How wonderful. It is Jesus who opens up a way for us to be a part of God's family. Mary ran and found the disciples she became the first. The, 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 the theologians call her the, 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 the apostle to the apostles. She became the first to declare, I have seen the Lord. And he's alive. He's alive. He's alive. I challenge you to leave this place today. Leave. Move forward in your day. Carrying your three Easter gifts. And declare the good news. He's alive. He's alive. He's alive. Amen.